You're listening to The Dollop on the All Things Comedy Network. This is a bi-racial American history podcast where each week I, Dave Anthony, a white guy, reads a story from American history to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who's also white and doesn't understand how this that makes it biracial uh, and has no idea what the topic is going to be about. Well, Gareth, my uh, ancestors are mostly Irish. Still not seeing the path. And your ancestors? Could, uh, couldn't be more translucently Irish. Mostly? Mostly? English. English. Pale. Yeah. Okay. Biracial. Okay. All right. I should add, I don't know what races are. Yeah, okay, that's good. This is- and I'm trying to be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Maybe the way to do it is to just talk like a human and not like a out-of-work horse race announcer. Gareth, this is a biracial no, podcast. No, 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 sir, no. We're two different... Stop two digging. Different- we are unique intro flowers. We're unique flowers, Gareth. Yeah, I guess we're so- not, Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. Can we start? And called it, quote, his jam pad. Jam pad? I'm the fucking hippo guy. Dave, okay. My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Gary. Wait. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tiggly Podcast. Okay. This is like Adam. On a five-part coefficient. <laughs> Now hit him with the puppy. You both present sick arguments. <laughs> no sleep tell hippo. No sleep tell hippo. Action part. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. Rhoda. Rhoda in the court. I thought that was one of our best intros. It's a uh, nightmare and we, should be cut out. We got into the topical stuff of the day. <laughs> What, what uh, intro were you a part of? That is showing our support for Black Lives Matter. You did not do that. Um, I just want to put out there that if you use the term "all lives matter," you're listening to the wrong podcast. This is the only <laughs> podcast that's been calling for the removal of statues its whole time. Uh, Black Lives Matter is essentially uh, everything the dollop talks about. Um, so if you don't see that, maybe you should listen to more episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a number of them. Um, you can see the resistance within obviously the Republican party, but also the democratic party. Uh, it's everywhere. This is a massive, massive movement and it's not going to stop and change is going to happen. Well, regardless, it's just, it's just like everything else, though, where the poli- like the both political parties right now are like, we hear you. We're going to debate yeah. chokeholds. The hilarious thing is that you're, now you're talking to a generation that has grown up for 30 years listening to we hear you. And they're yeah. like, yeah, yeah. So what, what comes after that? So what comes yeah. after the we hear you part? Yeah. Uh, well, then we put together a task force and then you go back <laughs> to your lives and then we inundate you with things to do. So then there's no option for you to actually fight back and the momentum's dead. And then we move on. <laughs> um, I would say if you're into history, the uh, the greatest comparison uh, between the American police force and another police force in history would be uh, apartheid South Africa. Oh, my God. Um, that is, from what my research uh, is showing, the greatest parallel. And so you, and that's where know, we are. We know the name apartheid because of how smooth everything was. That's right. That's right. 
But, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there who want to support the police. That's what you're supporting. That is the historical comparison that works the best. Do a little research. Read up on it. It's pretty great. Makes you feel good about your country. June 10th, 1886. Felt like a vamp to the date. Okay. 1886? 1886. The year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Feels off. Uh why i feel uh well because wasn't isn't a isn't ad when it's i mean jesus was around it's all it all starts from the second he was born or died whatever uh well that's why 1886 ad seems strange for the year of the you know what i mean hey hey we restarted the clock with the j man all right all right i know i started the clock you're making my point you're making my point. So everything after him is the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I guess that that was lost on me. Sorry. Okay, so every year is every year is his year. Do you not go to church? Uh, well, it seems like a bad time to be going to. You're not going to church right now, right? I'm in church right now. I'm in a fucking church. You should not be going to these places. This is. Hayakawa Kintero was born in the township of Nehru on the island of Honshu in Japan. Wow. Somebody worked out the first part. <laughs> uh, he had five siblings. The family lived in a shellfish diving community. His father was from a long line of aristocrats and rose from the head of the fishermen's union to be the governor of the Chiba Prefecture. Okay. So he's killing it. His family expected him to join the Japanese Imperial Navy. It was expected because uh, they just came from a long line of samurai and army guys and forever. Uh, so he was also raised in the strict warrior code of Bushudo. Same as you. Okay. Oh, right. That, 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 I mean, that's very, yeah, that's a strict, isn't that, that's a very crazy strict Martial well, it's, uh, it's a samurai code of conduct. Okay. Uh, it emphasized loyalty and duty. Uh, but Hayakawa also uh, had some dreams uh, of going overseas. And so on the side, he studied we're English. Gonna need to, we're going to need to stop that right away. Yeah. Uh, so when he reached the appropriate age, he entered the Navy Academy. Okay. Right. Uh, when he was 17, he was at the academy, and a fellow student dared him to swim to the bottom of a nearby lagoon. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's just classic a classic wager. school dare. Yeah. I mean, By if the you're way, near a lagoon. What a great. Yeah. And also, a very. I, I, my guess is he's going to have some sort of honor, but a very easy thing to win. You just go under for 20 seconds. You're like, yep, got it. That's right. You come back up, and you're like, I touched all the yeah. bottoms. <gasps> Woo! I barely got it this time, but I got it for sure. Uh, so he made it to the bottom, but ruptured an eardrum in the process. This is why my now, plan, again, way better. Yeah, way better. Uh, so the entrance exam for the Imperial Navy included a very, very tough physical, and his eardrum rupture resulted in Hayakawa failing. So he was not going to be a part of the Imperial Navy. 
Not great. His father took it very hard. His father told well, I'm curious, What did he win in the bet? Do we know what he won in the bet? Because if he wins like a mansion, uh, or yeah, it was probably maybe a, a luxury sports yacht. It was probably a beer or a, a room, fish. a room filled with gold. Room. Sorry, what was it? Yeah, or or, or just a broom. Yeah, well, yeah, that's instead of a room. That's not a. Uh, you know what? I, it's you know what I mean. Not as good. I do know what a broom is. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So now he has a broom. Great. Uh, Huge. So his father tells him that he has dishonored the family. And then However, his father the place his- has never been cleaner. <laughs> I'll say what? that. Oh, uh, let me turn sideways. What? There we go. Um, so uh, his father then fell into a deep depression because this was just okay. his father fell into a deep um, depression over that. Yeah. He, well, he was humiliated by his son. His son had humiliated him. I mean, and I, <laughs> and so, yeah. And so Hayakawa became very ashamed. It, uh, by and the way, the, eight, best part, the best part is probably when his father was just like, Hayakawa, you have dishonored this family greatly. The things you've done, the choices you've made were selfish. I can't even show my face around my usual hang spots. Your mother's beside herself. She's in the bedroom. And you don't seem to care. And then he's just like, huh, what? What'd you say, Dad? Stand on my left side if you're going to. Why are you crying? you crying over uh the dishonor happened on the right wow so uh 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 so the there's the their relationship is broken um everything at 18 years old everything he had been working toward his whole life all those 18 years uh it's gone everything expected of him is gone so he decided to commit a sabuku oh dear uh, which is ritual suicide by disembowelment. Isn't the, uh, uh, the the least recommended way to commit suicide? And then what is what is uh, harikari? Then isn't that the same, same thing? Sort of, same it thing. is right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, again, this is a samurai thing. This is an old school samurai way to go. Well, that's a great. That's a great thing to rename. It's not called that. It's called this. <laughs> when you cut out your guts, you sound stupid if you say harikari. <laughs> Uh, so he took a weapon that had been handed down in his family. Uh, it was an old samurai weapon from ancestors in his family. He and he went to the, the garden. Broom. Yeah, I agree. The, the bristle end, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a lot of people have figured out that one. Yeah. Uh, the bristles. Uh, uh, I'm just dust free and alive. <laughs> so he goes down to the garden shed, puts a white sheet down, uh, takes his dog and locks it outside the shed. Uh, and then gets in position, but the dog starts barking. Uh, God damn it, can't I just... Ugh. And Hayakawa starts stabbing. He stabbed himself over 30 times in the gut. Okay, Dave. The dog keeps barking. Uh, that brings his parents out. His father must have looked through a window or something because he sees him in a pool of blood. So his dad runs and grabs an axe and breaks down the door. And then they take that's when, it, that's, to when, a, that's when he's like, Oh my God, we had an axe. <laughs> I don't know that. Uh, it takes him to a doctor and they save his life. Wow. Wow. So he spends. Yeah. It, it, he spends some a, time. 
even even with even with suicide or taking your own life, like the idea of doing it that and that violent and painful and yeah, the no, length just, of that death, it's just very crazy. It's all awful. Yeah. Uh, so he heals over uh, a bit of time. He receives spiritual sustenance at a Zen temple. Okay, I need some of that. Uh, dur- during this time, he mended his relationship with his, with his father also. Yeah, well, it's easy for his dad to be like, so that little shed incident surely put some perspective on this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I lost my cool about your ear. Uh, so now what to do, right? Uh, what is he, where do they go from here? So his father decided Hayakawa would become a banker. And the next best thing to a military career was being a successful businessman or a politician, right? Okay, sure, sure. Great. So Hayakawa was shipped off to the University of Chicago in America, where he would study political science and economics. Hmm. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention here that Hayakawa was uh, smoking hot with a great body. Dude had all the, dude had all the makings. He, he, Hayakawa fun. was hot. hot. He's hot. He was hot. He's some hot business. And then to top it off, uh, at the university, he joined the football team and after a while became the school's quarterback. And I mean, that he that, brought. Oh, 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 oh. Hold on, oh, sorry. Jose's eating. Jose's eating. Food. Food, food time. Went off. <laughs> food time. Um, so with no real knowledge of the sport, That's right. he ascends to the top. That's, it seems suspicious, right? It doesn't, I mean, it seems crazy. It seems yeah, like... Yeah, I agree. I, I, I felt the same way when I read it. Uh, he also brought his own skills to the sport. He would avoid tackles by doing judo flips over players trying to tackle him. Another time, the team was penalized because Hayakawa took down a guy rushing him by using jujitsu. Okay, so this is a movie made by Disney in 86. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Samurai High. That's right. You nailed it. Okay. I'm very... Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. So his father dies in 1913, and Hayakawa went back for the funeral, and his brother tried to talk him into staying, but he didn't think he had a future in Japan anymore, and he returned to school. He's like, bro, I'm running the West Coast offense at the UFC. <laughs> now, I couldn't figure out exactly when this happened, but at some point, he ended up in Los Angeles on a vacation. And he was in Little Tokyo, and he saw a show at the Japanese Playhouse, and he was bitten by the acting bug. He took a stage name, Seshu Hayakawa. Uh, he rose, Interesting. He rose you're going to go with a stage name. Yeah, I know, right? It rose up the ranks of uh, acting? It, Seshu means like snowy hill or something. Like It's not like, I, I don't know. Um, so he rises up quickly in acting, and he began to star in plays. One was called The Typhoon. And producer Thomas Ince came to see it. Now, Ince, he's a pretty big deal at the time. He started making movies in 1911, and by 1913, he had made 166 movies. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Just because what? I'm a numbers guy, Dave. Can you give me the year time frame one more time, and then the amount sure. of films? He starts making movies sometime in the middle of 1911. 
And then by the end of 1913, he had made 160. That's two years. And he'd made how many films? A little over two years, 166 films. Pretty typical uh, output for a filmmaker. Uh, Adam McKay Uh does that many. uh, Adam McKay in this year did all the presidents and all the vice presidents. It just feels... Features. Yeah. Features. I mean, like, I don't think porn directors make that many a year. Uh, I do. And you can 106, so you, so you are basically, <laughs> I mean, he's basically a making lot. a movie every two days. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, well, yeah. Two and a half days. Well, it's a little a less movie? than that. Three, I'd say three days. Yeah. He's making a lot of movies. So every three and days, all, every three days, all good. a new feature. Yeah. So Thomas Ains basically pioneered what was like an assembly line type film making process. Uh, so over 14 years, his career was 14 years. He made over 800 films. Sure. Sure. So he made, right. So he, sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah you get it. Okay. Yeah. That's just, that's standard. The normal amount. Yeah. Normal. normal I'm sure. And by the way, like I said, I'm sure that the scripts were good. I'm sure that the yep. everything was not rushed. Yep. Nope. Not at all. Uh, he uh, he died when he was 44 on William Randolph Hearst's yacht. So he could have made a lot more. Anyway, he died at 44. He could, I mean, this dude yeah. could have made a billion movies. Oh fuck yeah! He could he literally could have made like over 2,000 easily. So anyway, in saw Seshu uh, in the tycoon, and he wanted to turn the play into a film. But how about we plan- do three hundred movies together this year, man, <laughs> my friend? <laughs> but Seshu planned to return to the university, and he was just really acting for fun. He said he, it wasn't something he wanted his family to learn about. So he said no. Uh, but Ince kept coming back. He was like, I want to do this. Let's make your typhoon movie. And Sashu then made up a crazy amount thinking it would make Ince go away. He said, I'll take, I'll do it for 500 bucks a week, okay. which is about 11 K now a week. So for an unknown, that's like a, right. right. Uh, Ince is just like, yeah, totally. Let's right. do it. Okay. Now let's make it. Now that's Sashu's version of the story. That's a story he told to the press, but, Amy Monahan uh, of the University of Chicago Magazine looked into Sashu's story and she checked the school records and there are no records of Sashu attending the University of Chicago. There are no records of him playing on the football team. But 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 Dave he but Dave he was doing judo moves. Yeah, the story he... seems so plausible. But Dave just seems like uh, we all felt we, Dave, if I, we all fell in love yeah, with the quarterback with the, story. So it seems that uh, what happened was, is he came to the U S to meet up with his brother who was at this point diving for abalone in California. He took two correspondence courses in political economy from the university of Chicago's home study program. So he was doing, you know, uh-huh. just oh, through the mail uh, courses uh, his passport says he was in America to study. 
but he was never actually on a campus. Author and professor. Makes it hard to be the, also, it makes it very hard to be the starting quarterback when you're not allowed on campus. Yeah, uh, that's right. It makes it much more difficult. Author and professor Daisuke Mayo wrote that Seshu actually worked odd jobs as a dishwasher, waiter, ice cream vendor, and factory worker while he was trying acting on the side. Now, so Seshu... He- so he was yeah. he was definitely like into acting. Okay, I, but when this guy approached, I mean, how much of this? All right, you're going to tell me how much of this. Approach. I think I think he's into acting, but it's a shameful thing he thinks for him to oh, do. That is legit. Okay, okay, got it. So he wants to do it, but he doesn't want to do it. By the way, you know what I mean that that's I wish wouldn't it, we be in a better world if all actors felt that way? Wouldn't that just it be a better be. place? I think yeah well, yeah. It, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think there needs to be a lot more shame-based acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like you should like act like. How about this? Can we just say for like ten years, like actors get paid nothing? Yeah. Just remove well, that the- part of it. <laughs> just see what happens. You know, I what was I yeah, reading like- before earlier that Christopher Nolan doesn't allow chairs on sets. Oh, I saw that. What an asshole. So I'm looking for that. Let's let's get back to that sort of crazy attitude. All right, well, go sit in your water until we need you. Why can't I be on land? Because you're a stupid actor. <laughs> um, so he, he, has a, he has a presence on screen, and, uh, and he was a quick success. The Tycoon was a huge hit and an overnight sensation. So Sashu had the looks, and he also had a very low-key acting style that made him stand out compared to other silent film actors who are incredibly over-the-top in America. Mm-hmm. Sashu's style was called zen-like, but he called it a muga, or the absence of doing. Now, not to Sounds- defend the Go ahead. silent... Uh-huh. <laughs> not to defend SAG, the Silent Actors Guild, uh-huh. um... But I've, as someone who's watched a good amount of silent film, I've found that the subtlety is not the friend of the silent film actor. It's not a subtle medium. No, it's your, it's why Buster Keaton's eyes are so famous, because they pop, because he's so confused about what's before him. But it's almost like there's something different about this Japanese guy from all the other American actors that would make him stand out and people would put, put their feelings upon it. It's just a different, it's a minimalist take in silent film is something I've not heard a lot of. Yeah. Uh, The audience understood what he was feeling by the subtle faces he made. He also acted to the camera instead of to the balcony like most Hollywood actors did. Okay. So after the typhoon, Ince put Seshu in The Wrath of the Gods. The two films together made Seshu famous in 1914. He was the first Asian star of the silver screen. The New York Times would later write that for many in the U.S., Seshu was the first Japanese person they had ever seen. You know what, just very quickly, is fairly disgusting is that, okay, it feels like here we've made the transition to having uh, other races on screen comfortably in this country. And then after 1914, we have a run of horrendous, uh, like, white people playing Asian 
people. Oh, yeah. So we found a time where we were like, hey, this is a really cool, interesting thing. This is different. This man's subtle. Uh, and hold then on. later on, we're like, right. all right, Mickey, put the teeth in. <laughs> you, might be jump- you might be jumping the gun a little bit there. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good to hear. Uh, so he was in 16 movies in 1914, and he, and he then signed a deal with Jesse L. Lasky Feature Play Company, which would later become Paramount Pictures. Better name. So, yeah. In 1915, he was in Cecil B. DeMille's uh, The Cheat. Uh, he played a Japanese ivory merchant who loaned money to a rich stockbroker's wife. She was blowing through all all the money on the side, all her husband's money. And so he's given her money with the idea that he was going to get to fuck her at some point. Like, that's the sort of game plan. That's great. Okay. So it's like a decent proposal, but uh, old. It's, a gr- it's just a classic wholesome story. Yeah, it's a classic tale of uh, rights. But then instead of fucking him, she decided she was going to pay back the money and, and with cash instead of sex as promised and says so she then forced her down on his desk rips off a sleeve from her dress and brands her with a hot iron to mark her as his possession well that's a twist <laughs> I haven't heard it I haven't heard it so women in the audience screamed in ecstasy. Some fainted, but there was this. So he's this super sexy guy taking what he wants. <laughs> I, I, you know, obviously today this reaction is weird, but oh yes, at the time you're oh, talking oh, yes. about. But at the time you're talking about. So here's an exotic type of person that most yeah. most of these people haven't seen. They're they're fucking turned on by it. It's you know there's there's a lot of crazy shit going on here. So well, yeah, um, and also there's like uh, it's such like a it's like like men made things so boring for everybody. So it's like you see something like this and you're like, oh my god, wild something I mean, crazy. I mean, look, taking women and abusing women is you know uh, there's still it's still much more subtle than it was, but it was pretty fucking over the top for a long time. Um, I, I'm not going to speak to it because I don't know what it's like to be a woman or what the fuck was going on then and I, how everybody felt. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I'll feel that. But it's not great. And yet, women women are his biggest fans. Okay. Um, so newspapers wrote he should have been uh, the star of the film, not a supporting actor. So he's a sexy villain, right? That's who he is. Sure. Sure. Um, sure. And now he's making five thousand dollars a week. Okay. But what? So, the, but what? His original deal he's going to make eleven thousand a week. But no, he was making bullshit. it was making five hundred a week. It was eleven okay, k in our money. Um, oh right, right, right. Forget it. Uh, so he builds what it looks exactly like a French castle. Okay. It's in Hollywood on the corner of Franklin and Argyle. Frank, oh my God! No, f- shut the fuck up! I know what that becomes. No, it's gone. They it got oh, wiped down. I know. Right so the- did I. I, at first, I thought it was too, but there's nothing there. It's just where the freeway overpass is now. Okay, okay. Because <laughs> what yeah, we should I, say what we thought it was was a Scientology center. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the first thing I looked up. I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. It's not. Uh, uh, um. So Lasky puts his PR machine in overdrive, and a lot of uh, Sesh's success is because of Lasky's PR strategy. So to Americans, Japan was a middle ground as far as races and cultures. 
Yeah. Uh, according to uh, uh, author, I'll quote him a lot when I, I, I brought him up before, but Daisuke uh, Mayo, um, he said, quote, between the white and the non-white, between uniformity and difference, Japanese was seen as culturally, racially different from other non-white cultures. The Japanese were closer to Caucasian, but there was also the yellow peril, which people have been writing about since the 1900s, so he was in, he was a villain who embodied the yellow peril, but he was also sold as partially Americanized. Right. So God. so the Japanese are like it's the noble savage thing, right? It's the it's the oh these are slightly good. <laughs> like it's just Dave, crazy. Could, could we be more the sommeliers of racism? I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's we just, are just like <laughs> we have that we they just have found ways. It's just, it's amazing. It's just, it's mind, it is mind bending hearing over the years, the palate of like just the, the, the gymnastics yeah. that they go through. No, no, it's incredible. So Lasky's PR focused on uh, Americanizing Sashio even more and turning him into a sex symbol. He was to be seen as assimilating to America and not a threat. His lifestyle was shown as Japanese, but Americanized. Uh, the cheat uh, also became big in Europe, and so their famous French poet Colette wrote, quote, The movie theater has become an art school. We cry miracle. The Asiatic artist whose powerful immobility is eloquence itself. So the French fucking love this guy. Everybody loves this guy. Yeah, okay. To the French... Sashu, in his Zen style, had created a new form of acting. Hey, shut up, buddy. What are you do? Stop meowing. What's going on? Shut up. We're recording a podcast. You're not like this normally. Stop. <laughs> God damn. He's just walking around here just like, meow. Stop. Um, so the French enjoyed his subtlety? You love it. Love and this, this, this still, the explanation of Jerry Lewis's success there continues to baffle. It still does not make sense. So in Japan, uh, it was a huge deal there also, because he's a Japanese man starring in films, but at yeah. the same time, does not go over well with Japanese audiences. Uh, Japanese Americans in the U.S. protested. They, they said it was an anti-Japanese film that distorted the truth of the Japanese race. Because, right, because he's grabbing yeah. one and tearing off yeah. her dress and branding sure. her. Sure, um, I can see that. Seshu was called High Kokomin, which meant he was a national traitor. Well, uh, to what you're also saying, I mean, the, you know, if you're if they're dealing with racism as well, then something like this doesn't help. I mean, it just doesn't it doesn't help. Right. It does not help. Absolutely, it does not help. But at the same time, he's not going. No Japanese person is going to be put into films. Right. You know, it's 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 a complicated yes. sort of totally. shitty American. Yes. So newspapers wrote that he was enhancing anti-Japanese sentiments in the U.S. and he had insulted the entire nation of Japan. L.A.-based newspaper Rafu Shimpo reported attacks on Japanese people by, quote, white bad boys, bad boys who were crowded in front of the Tally Theater and crying out anti-Japanese words, lynched a Japanese noodle shop owner who came out of the theater as Hayakawa was lynched in the courtroom scene. What? That's so crazy. apparently... Uh, 
a Japanese guy got lynched by a fired up crowd after the movie, which is what happens to he at the end of the film, he's lynched in the courtroom. Oh my God. So yeah, Jesus Christ. Good. Uh, so, so she then wrote a public apology in Rafu Shimpo, uh, but people still kept protesting. Now, the movie mirrored real life. There were real incidents between white women and Japanese men who were often working as domestic guys, right, for white Uh women and white families. Uh, After a three-year affair, Mabel Smith shot and killed her Japanese lover who who had been working for her. Like in the movie, the jury let her walk for self-defense, and this is not an isolated case. So... So she appeared in other films playing other ethnicities. He was uh, a Native American in a few Westerns. Uh, in some movies, while well, she was playing a Native American, Sioux actors were playing Japanese villagers. Well, just when you, I mean, what, 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 is our, what is our fundamental issue? How, I mean, that's just, that's just like... Guys, 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 we shoot tomorrow. It's not racist enough. <laughs> I've got a wild idea. The old switcheroo. The old race switcheroo. The Hollywood whoopsie doozy. Oh, it's just amazing. I mean, what were they talking about on breaks? Like, hey, boy, um, aren't, aren't the white people who run this shit just the fucking worst? Which <laughs> is crazy. Uh, last he put says she in heroic roles but couldn't stray too far from the villain uh, it was very tight rope they were walking to keep him a star Seshu would say quote Seshu Hayakawa double character very very complicated okay yes right uh Lasky put Sashu in movies in which he was not completely evil. The parts were transformed. The parts would always transform twice during the story. He would become villainous to get revenge on a racist white American man. And then he'd feel bad about it after he fell in love with a white woman. And then he would sacrifice himself in some way to help the white people. That was how the movies always went. This this sounds like Southern porn. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, little, uh, it's a little it's right so, on the racist nose. It's crazy. It's like it's like we need like a, a racist hub along with Pornhub, where it's like my scenario is pretty wackadoodle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she explained in an interview the plot of one film. Quote: In my coming picture, the honor of his house, I take the part of a Japanese nobleman who marries an American girl who brings disgrace upon him, and I decide to kill myself. Jeez, and, and white audiences are like, perfect, another perfect yeah. story. They all end with a dead Japanese guy. As long as we get our ending that we're used to. <laughs> so, in 1917, the U.S. entered World War I, and Japan was our ally. Uh, Sashu's films were advertised emphasizing the U.S.-Japanese alliance. The L.A. Times published a photo of Sashu acting as a, quote, mediator, in a possible war between a dog and a cat at Lasky's studio. Oh my God. Okay. So uh, there's a lot of infractions here. So uh-huh. uh, they put uh, him on the cover of the LA times uh-huh. or in the LA times as a, a to prop up. He's, 
he's mediating between the dog and a cat. So there's a dog and a cat in the picture, mm-hmm. and he's and between he, a mediating. Okay, so right there, the parties are crazy, but their point of putting him in that situation is to sort of say, hey, look, the Japanese people are really cool. He's, these dogs and cats <laughs> should be fighting. We've been through this. But because he's because Japanese people, big news are pretty cool. <laughs> FYI, okay. And this is what we call news here. And by the way, it's only going to get worse. Ugh. That's what happened. Yeah, good. That's what happened. Okay. Uh, in the movie The White Man's Law, Sashu played a guy from the Sudan. What, Dave? Slow down. <laughs> what? Yep, he plays a guy. He plays In a White guy Man's first. Law, the title of this great movie. Ah, that's right. Sad you was re- <laughs> So, really, well, there were, as far as actor breakdowns go, there used to be two kinds there were white parts, and then every other part. There's white and then non-white. And then what? Uh, if we you were that. non-white, you can play anything. That's right. We're looking for a non-white guy. What's the What's the thing? It's just not white. Yeah, but what is his? Uh, Where's he from? What's his? He's not white. Well, uh, here's what we have. We have a man from Senegal here who we think could be great as your Chinese emperor. <laughs> so let me know if any of you feel nauseous. You should. <laughs> Uh, so it was recommended. Uh, so in these movies in which he, we're now allied with Japan and he's playing all these different characters. So for this Sudanese, uh, part, it was recommended. They quote, show the Japanese flag, decorate the lobby with lanterns and paper flowers to lend an oriental atmosphere to the film. What for what reason? What, what is going on? <laughs> what? So he's playing, what? Does this yeah. make any sense? Okay, and then just to take them out of it, we'll make the lobby Japan again. That's right. And so this is supposed to be a classic Sudanese house. So what we need are lanterns. Very minimalist. We, we just want a mat on the floor, uh, paper door. Let's just go with it. Perfect. We'll lean in. Just like they do in the Sudan. That's right. Uh so he played roles in which he was a Japanese spy sent to the U.S. to help. Uh, he at, in one movie he killed himself to help the U.S. and a white woman. <laughs> so does he? How? What is his like living percentage in some of these? I don't does know. I didn't. I mean, it was low. It sounds low. like he's dying a lot. It sounds like if you go to see one of his films, you're like, well, and you know what happened? He'll die at the end, and it'll be make us feel good for being white. That's the goal. So the cheat is re-released in Japan because the first time they were all offended, he was a national traitor. So they re-released in Japan, and this time he is not a Japanese guy in the movie, but a Burmese dude. So the racial whittling continues. Uh, (laughs) This is getting honestly hard to keep track of so now to skirt the anger the racial tension in japan over him taking this part in the cheat 
the big Hollywood movie magic is that they'll just change like a line and make him Burmese. That's right. And that is going to assuage the angers of the Japanese people over what he's done, which is very, uh, yeah, this, and this was to not offend the, uh, Japanese. Right. And did it work? Well, yeah, it did. So the Japanese were finally I mean, just like, I mean, somewhat, but they, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of propaganda happening in Japan also. Like well, I'm also sure what were his like, numbers like in Burma? They probably dropped. Uh, well, here's what one guy said about uh, Richard, uh, Robert Bichard, a, uh, a writer at the time, wrote there weren't, quote, enough Burmese in the U.S. to raise a credible protest. Oh, well, then it's good. As long as we racially had done the numbers and the math, that's cool. <laughs> that I enjoy. I like it when they do it like that. That's right. Uh, so movie stars' private lives were publicized to help their images, uh, you know, as they still are. The main reason was to show what great moral people they were <laughs> as, opposed to what, as opposed to what they played on film. So they didn't want people to think who they were on film was who they were as a person. Mm, that's Especially true. true with Seshu, who is, right, a, a, a Japanese villain. Right. Yes. Uh, yes. So... When he's, off off he's, really, he's a Burmese pussycat. <laughs> so he's often shown with his family, mm-hmm. uh, looking very American in Photoplay, which was the most popular fan magazine at the time. They published an article, uh, That Splash of Saffron, Seshu Hayakawa, a cosmopolitan actor who, for reasons of nativity, happens to peer from our white screens with tilted eyes. Ah, no. I mean, the number of times I had to cut out, I I cut out that chick because it just got nauseating. But, um, but they, so they're pointing out two things. They're pointing out that he's cosmopolitan Mm -hmm. and, and right. But at the same time, the noble savage, they're doing, they're playing both ends of it, reminding you that he is, he's a bad guy because he's not white. And then also, oh, but he's refined. Yes. So it's this weird. Yes. It's all. Um, yes. It's, it's like, we, it's like we've put him through white finishing school. <laughs> he's getting warmer. I mean, that's what we did to the Native Americans. Here you can see Sashu draped in an American flag, tossing a hamburger to his son who's a football. <laughs> so, the article pointed out that he did not live in, quote, a paper mache house amid teacup scenery, but lived in a regular bungalow. How about That's a this? Quote. Just say he lives in a bungalow. That'll do. <laughs> That's, a good amount. That's a good fact. That's good information. That is good information. Oh, despite what you think, he doesn't spend his whole day trying to catch tuna to eat. No, he's actually here as a regular person. <laughs> Uh, so in the article, they took pictures. He's wearing Western clothes while his wife, wearing a kimono, serves him tea. Here you can see the main argument between the couple is that he insists on being a Western cowboy and she still holds on to her national roots. <laughs> so this article may have been the origin story of the University of Chicago footballing stuff. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's very possible. So, so, um, okay. Interesting. So, Seshu was now making over a quarter of a million dollars a year, which is about five million bucks a day. Uh, he bought a gold plated luxury car, a Pierce Arrow, and hired a uniformed driver. Dave, 
I mean, if white people need to start respecting the. I mean, this is this is the capitalism that they would have just. We finally done it. He actually had the car until Fatty Arbuckle bought the same car, and then he gave it away. Wow, that offended by Fatty Arbuckle. Yeah. Uh, screenings of his films were full of young women who screamed when he came on screen. And, and this is when interracial marriage is illegal. Right. And uh, most places sex between a white person and someone who's not white was illegal. So sure. yeah, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it really is. After, after the first day of filming the Jaguars claws, which was shot out in the Mojave desert, 500 cowboy extras got drunk and stayed drunk until the next day. Well, it sounds like they weren't extras. So at that point, they're just having a party and don't care about the movie. Yes, right. So, so she was trying to get them to film again, and he ends up challenging all 500 to a fight at the same time. What? Okay. He told them, he told them if they won, they could keep drinking, but if they lost, they had to get to work immediately. Okay. So three cowboys immediately rushed him and says you quote, the first one struck out of me. I seized his arm and sent him flying on his face along the rough road. The second attempted to grapple and I was forced to flip him over my head and let him fall on his neck. The fall knocked him unconscious. Then the third pulled a gun, but says quickly disarmed him. And at that point, all the extras agreed to go back to work. What the, the media, fuck? The, what? Dave, okay, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he he does he takes there's 500 drunk cowboys. Yeah, and he decides that he's going to matrix them. That's right. And challenge them all to a Mister Anderson fight. That's right. He does that. He possibly paralyzes one of the men, and then one of them, an extra, an actor, pulls out a real gun. Well, that's America. And he disarms him. Yeah. And then he gets them to go back to work. Well, the guy, I'm going to tell you, the guy carrying the real gun is really, he's the real hero. Of course he is. Yeah. Uh, So that's just a day at the office. And now, you know, the press eats up these stories. They build up uh, his mystique, you know. Sure. Uh, So, and this all made, and women loved him more when they heard these things. Did you hear what he did to the extras? (laughs) <laughs> and you want to know the best part? He's not white. So his contract is up uh, with Lasky slash Paramount in 1918, and he leaves. Uh, one reason was because he wanted to control the, his roles that he was playing. I wonder quote, why. We're not <laughs> quote. We're not true to Japanese nature. I wish to make a characterization which shall reveal us as we really are. Some of his movies, not just the cheap, but other movies have been banned in Japan at this point, and he was affected by all the Japanese-American criticism. So he started his own company, Hayworth Studio, to have more control. He planned to introduce real Japanese characters in realistic environments, make them more positive and less stereotypical. And he wanted to make eight movies a year, all with Japanese themes. Uh, So he did, and audiences were into it. He was one of the highest earning actors in Hollywood, making around $25 million a year in today's This world. is not the turn I expected. Okay. Yeah. 
So Sashu and his wife often threw giant, expensive, extravagant Hollywood parties. They'd invite 150 people to the castle. He said he was living a West Coast lifestyle and was showing that Japanese people could live as lavishly as Americans. Mm-hmm. That's the best one. The Japanese people could be just as fucking stupid as Americans. What do you can be awful, affluent, pompous pricks too. <laughs> We're like you. Uh, he visited the White House. His castle was very popular after Prohibition because Sheshu bought a crazy amount of alcohol before Prohibition, and it lasted for years. Man, that is that's the move. That's the, that. If I heard prohibition, like the second, I mean, like it's like when the pandemic was starting and they were talking about lockdown. Like the dude at my local liquor store was like, "How much vodka are you drinking?" Like I was like, <laughs> "I don't know where this train is headed, but it's off the tracks, and I'm going to need vodka." I know. When I I was one of the early buyers, and people were like, "What are you doing?" Oh, and I was oh, like, "What yeah. are you not doing, motherfucker?" Oh, when you were yes, when you, I, for sure we were both out there like. There's nothing I remember. This isn't even based on this, but I remember one time when I went to the store and just bought a ton of water, just like, you know, just like in case you need water. So I just bought a ton of the people were like, what, uh, sorry, what did what did you hear? Did you, know that? Did you hear something? Like Cedric, the entertainer has that bit where he just starts running and everyone runs after him. Like, it's just like if you were yeah. like, oh, my God, everyone's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, so, so he's fucking living large, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was, he was very universally respected in, in Hollywood. He was considered honorable kind and had a strong and no nonsense work ethic. So everyone liked to work with him. He throws great parties, but even though he had his own production company now, he did not control distribution of the films. So this gave distributors of films power over studios. Mm. They can make requests, such as making films that would appeal to the most audiences in the distributor's eyes. So over the next couple of years, Sashu's distribution company got more and more control over the content of his films. Okay. Makes me think that uh, (laughs) he'll be frustrated. before, Before long, Hayward's studio was under the control of the distributor who pushed... Oriental stereotypes, as opposed to uh, the Japanese movies he wanted to make. So he's got. It's gone from being right, true Japanese characters and and lives and stuff to a, a more. Uh, how do I say this? Uh, it's it's Oriental, which is a not not a thing, right? That's not a that's not a what is that Japanese? Is that Chinese? Is that like it's just this homogenized Asian thing? Right that doesn't actually say anything about who the Japanese people are or the Chinese people are or whatever. It's just this weird American sort of idea of what Asians are. Right. And that, and by the way, uh, I think again, it just shows you how cool, you know, the whites have been as far as that goes for so long. Like that's right. we just have this track record of getting it early and understanding yeah, early. That's right. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Yeah. One, this didn't go over well with one fan magazine who wrote, who wrote, quote, the great Seshu Hayakawa has not been so successful since he left Lasky. So his whole idea to go out and push positive Japanese stereotypes is now being undermined with this guy who has actually made 
more generic stereotypes. Right. And actually hurts him more than when he was playing just the shitty villainous Japanese guy or whatever. So he went out on a path to sort of break the mold a little bit and tread a new path. And And he got into business with a guy who was just like, yeah, but uh, you're not white, so you're all the same. Exactly. Exactly. That feels like a little sand on the fire. Hollywood Journal started to write that Sessu's declining popularity was due to his nationality. That's and he amazing. started. That's what I, that's what I, I just, that's what that is. Yes. We still do that. Our media still does that. Our media yes. pays no attention to the rationale or the chronology. Just at the end of it. Well, it looks like socialism doesn't work. It's like, no, you fucking <laughs> You're lying. <laughs> looks like everybody did want Joe Biden. No. <laughs> uh, so he starts playing other non-white roles again he was in movies twice as a native american twice as a hawaiian wow. as a mexican That's as so an arab sad. as a chinese guy it's funny arab is another one right so that's just like well what kind of arab was he which 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 Dave, part how of how how much can you guarantee that in that hollywood they were patting each other on the back for giving parts to Middle Eastern people, oh, finally. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, the Chinese role was in the movie The Tong Man. Chinese people in San Francisco tried, they were so upset by the movie, they tried to have it banned, saying it misrepresented Chinese people. And they took it to court where the white judge watched it and then said, quote, this is a picture that shows act." action of real life there is nothing misleading about it it is entertaining gripping and instructive of course it wasn't real chinese american life at all but the white judge was like well that's what they're like well as someone who knows the chinese culture better than anyone in this room i think it's kind of funny i eat chinese food i I know what's happening look who knows more about what's okay with china you people who are Chinese, or me, a white guy who doesn't know anything. <laughs> Court adjourned. <laughs> By this point, it was coming obvious that Sashi was never going to kiss a white woman on screen. Rafu Shrimpo wrote of the movie A Heart of Heart and Pawn, quote, this can be called a kissless picture, and there is no kiss scene between a man and a woman. It is a rare case in contemporary cinema. There, between so the- now the, the Japanese-American uh, newspaper is like, hey, we're, we're on to the idea that Japanese actor doesn't get to kiss women in movies. We're, right. we're okay. a kissless film. Right. Okay. Great. Gotcha. Because in every movie, the couple kisses, except yeah. when there's a Japanese guy on the screen. Yeah. Well, I mean... And- Who knows what that is attributed to? Uh, His popularity began to seriously decline in the 1920s. Each year, Motion Picture Story magazine did a poll of the most popular actors. In uh, 1918, he was number 44, but by 1920, he had dropped to number 124. Because post-World War I was a period of, of American nationalism. And Americans were also becoming concerned about Japan as Japan strengthened. And the propaganda machine, propaganda machine against Japan was just getting going. So anti-Japanese sentiment, very, very strong in California. 
the groups like the California Oriental Exclusion League and the L.A. County Anti-Asiatic Society were formed. Oh, but here's the great thing. Then those two merged into one larger group called the Japanese Exclusion League of California. Oh, what a horrible, I mean, uh, it really is just unfucking believable Anti-Japanese propaganda from Hollywood influenced the entire country. Here we go. One very, one very popular East Coast writer warned people about the uh, Japan menace. Quote, there is a very immediate danger that white stocks may be swamped by Asiatic blood. That's no different than what Tucker Carlson says. It, it, not at all. It's true. It's not any different than what's being said on Fox. It's not even slightly different. It's just, it is truly amazing. It says here, same shit, different day. Constantly. Always. And we that, still are like, <laughs> I know, but why would they lie to us? <laughs> in 1924, the Immigration Act was passed by Congress, which denied Japanese immigrant citizenship. And uh, a Japanese man who had his request for citizenship denied sued even though he had spent most of his life in the United States and had no connection with Japan, the court ruled, the Supreme Court ruled he could not be a citizen because he was, quote, clearly not Caucasian. Well, I mean, so fucked up, but so similar to the dreamer stuff, too, where it's like, yes, you know, where you're like, you got to go back to your country. And it's like, yeah, I'm in my country. <laughs> like, yeah, this is where I'm from. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> The stories of people being deported who have never lived anywhere and then killing themselves or living in dire situations. Yeah, and you also, like, if you, not only are you going to be culturally lost, like, the culture that you're going back to potentially, you know, shuns you to some extent because at that point you've, we, we, uh, the Americans have now created this culture thing and, like, you're just, you're making no, oh, no-win situation for people. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, films about anything that was anti that was Japanese fell out of favor, except anti-Japanese films. So anything positive, anything you know, just medium about Japanese stuff out of favor. Many Japanese actors who had been making a living for years returned to Japan. Others started taking Chinese parts. Suddenly, the Chinese were seen as racially above the Japanese. So, whereas the Japanese a few years ago, five years ago, are are the noble savage, now the Chinese move above them in American society. So, Sesshu started making fewer films. He only had one role as a Japanese man in 1921. Theaters all over the U.S. said audiences did not want to see him specifically. He was too connected to Japanese culture. And when he played other ethnicities, audiences still saw him as Japanese. Uh, Dave, that's amazing. <laughs> that really is. That is unbelievable. So, so the Hollywood that he rose in would put him in literally any other non-white role indiscriminately right. without any issue. Right. And it's fine. Native American, it's fine. Arab, fine. did not matter. Fine. Now, he can't... He, he is now, after not playing, he is now not allowed to play Japanese, and that's all they'll give him. That's right. I mean, 
holy fuck, give us the racism Oscar now. For his next movie, the distributor gave him a choice of three scripts, and he hated every single one. They were all anti-Japanese. Yeah, I mean, well, imagine that. Imagine, like, hey, we got a part for you. Uh, shit on your country again. The reviews for his past couple of films have been bad, and this one was no different. The distributor, his own business partner, then referred to Seshu in public as a chink. An angry Seshu confronted him, saying, quote, I am not a chink, I am a Japanese gentleman, and the word chink is not fit to be spoke. In January 1922, the distributor, who was now completely in control of Seshu's company, fired Seshu. Seshu sued, and the distributor had... he So he sued, and he said the distributor had taken out a life insurance policy before his last film... And then while the movie was being shot, rigged a stone wall to fall on him during the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, she announced, so she announced he was leaving Hollywood on March 17th, 1922 at a dinner to celebrate that film being finished. Now, <clears throat> Japan had come around a bit since the days uh, Sashu so was seen as a traitor. Uh, this started when he created his own company to make his own films they saw him as a hero because he was trying to buck the system to create Japanese, positive Japanese films. Mm-hmm. So papers said he was fighting the anti-Japanese, totally. uh, you know, California. Yeah. So he was. <clears throat> but he was not fully seen as Japanese in Japan. And at one point, he won an award in Japan for best foreign actor. I... <laughs> <laughs> But I'm, but I, I am. So she was very aware. I can't believe that. Yeah. Like you're sitting in that award ceremony, like, who'd they nominate for this? Why is my name? (laughs) Wait. It's been an honor to learn about the culture through playing you people who are, once again, totally me. So she was very aware, and at one point he told an interviewer, quote, some Japanese people talk about me as if I were not Japanese, but white people regard me as Japanese. Wow. I mean, his acting st- by the now way, is- sort of. <laughs> yeah, right. His acting style in the U.S. was considered foreign, but in Japan it was seen as American. Poor bastard. It's just a nightmare. Yeah, you can't win. So- so uh, some nationalists uh, dislike him still in Japan. An anti-Seshu group formed as his ship was departing San Francisco. It was called the Hayakawa Assassination Group. Uh, very specific. Uh, it's very specific. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> excuse me? Uh, it was also called the Unwelcoming Seshu Group. <laughs> oh, good. So they got both my names. So that's good. But they, just in case I was like, is that a different guy? Wow. Uh, they insisted he was a national disgrace and said he had to apologize at two shrines before he entered the country. Um, he went to one of the shrines anyway because that's what he was planning on doing before yeah. he came into the country. Sure. I, I don't know why. It must be a custom. Um, so he was there, he was in Japan for a while. While he was there, Japanese filmmakers really got behind him because they hoped he would help improve Japanese film. Right. And, yeah, and a name. You know, right. Yeah, he's a name. Um, 
But when they realized he couldn't do that and he wasn't able to live up to their expectations, they turned on him. At a group meeting of the supporters, they condemned Seshu for not doing anything to help Japanese film in the country. There were so many against him that Seshu decided to leave because he was again being called the national traitor. And I'm going to go fled. to America where they're not as racist. <laughs> I don't know what's happening anymore. I'm very tired. <laughs> so he goes back to the U.S. When he arrives in San Francisco, Seshu said he, quote, would never go back to Japan because it was very uncomfortable. Sure, sure, sure. Sounds like it. So, so he has the support group of the filmmakers, but then he finds out that some of them were actually anti-Hayakawa group members. <laughs> And they had, and they threatened him for money. So he was just like, I can't be in either place. Yeah, like, I can't win. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, so he came back to America. He started to play. It wasn't liked. It was canceled pretty quickly. Jesus Christ. Now this offer, in canceled plays. Yeah. Well, the I mean, ratings are the, in. From, We're not going to do a second season. But this is a play. I mean, he went, canceled. He went from making yeah. $25 million a week. Yeah. So getting in a play that's canceled. For, and he did nothing. It's yeah, not like he, he was and robbed. Way, he did, if anything, he he tried very hard to change yeah. things. He's a, he's not Rob Lowe slapping the ass uh, no. on film of some sixteen year old girl in a hotel room in Atlanta. Yeah. He he didn't do anything. Right. <clears throat> Rob Lowe's fine though. But wait, she was the um, girl was sixteen with the Rob Lowe thing. I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. Somehow Rob Lowe got a pass in all this. There's a few passes that have been handed out. So. He, he he gets an offer from France. Oh, here we Still, Excuse me. Uh, we understand you are at your wit's end. Uh, down with Japan. Uh, down with the United States of America. Well, let me tell you something we don't do here as they do in the Etats-Unis. Huh? We're going to do something different. We're going to typecast you as a turtle. <laughs> That's right. You're a human turtle man. Huh? It's off the beaten path. It's different. Uh, say racially, it feels pretty egal to me. Huh? So, uh, so he's still popular in Europe. Um, he, he was said to have been more popular than Chaplin in France. Wow. Or in all of Europe, actually. Uh, and even actors in England studied his movies to learn how to act. Well, because also, true to what you were saying before, I mean, and what we were talking about, like, the subtlety in uh, silent film acting is uh, nil. So if you are actually looking for some sort of uh, subtlety and you see him, you go, wow, there's like an ocean between these two versions of, and styles. And then remember, a lot, of, uh, a lot of film actors from the silent film era couldn't transfer over to talkies. Dude, it, I don't know if you've ever heard Buster Keaton talk in talkies. Oh, it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. You're like, oh, this guy, but he sounds like a saw. And then he finally is on screen. He's just like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I was wondering if we could make it happen for you. You're like, what? Sweet Buster? He sounds like a pack of cigarettes with a voice box. But a subtle guy, a subtle acting style might work better. Um, So whatever. So uh, he does his French film. It's a hit. He stays and makes more films in France, acts and plays. Um, after this, after a little while, he comes back to America in 1926. He's like, all right, I gave it some time. Maybe they're not back the worst anymore. They are. Um, he does a vaudeville tour. Uh, it was two years before he got into a film, which was just a short. 
uh, and then he and then he tried Japan again. I, I don't know what his thinking was, but uh, he went to Japan and was in a few films, but still, it's the same problem. So he goes back to Hollywood in 1931, and he gets a couple of small parts. Um, in August, on August 26, 1931, Sashu and his wife adopted a two-year-old boy. His name was Alexander Hayes, and they renamed him Yukio Hayakawa. After the LA Times reported the story, an actress came forward, a white actress, and said she was the mother and said she was the father. Okay, so he and, he potentially adopted his son? Yeah. That's a nice move. I wish my dad would do that. <laughs> uh, the, mother, uh, the mother filed for cu- uh, full custody. And then newspapers went crazy with the story. So right? to, uh, I, to, to walk through how this happened, he, they fucked, she got pregnant, she had the baby, she gave it up for adoption, and then he was like, after hey, two years. after two years, and then he's like, hey, this one looks pretty good, and then brought it home, and then he's like, ah, Alan's a weird name. And then, that, <laughs> and then he was like, it's all over, until she was like, wait, just one second there. That's basically it. Uh, well, but she made a deal with him. So newspapers made sure everyone knew what the deal was. One LA Times story started with, quote, she is of the Caucasian race. Finally. Finally. That's the actress, right? Yeah. It's just nice to hear them be racially categorized every now and then, too. It's refreshing. <laughs> a white but, you know, they're they were pointing out that a white lady had fucked an Asian guy. Yes, which is shock. Uh, so it turns out they had met on the vaudeville tour, and they started making the sex, and she got pregnant, but she hey, didn't I'll have tell you money. What silent was there banging. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's the depression. She doesn't have any money, so she gives up the kid for adoption. So she or or you know trades him off to the dad. Um, because he can give the kid a better life. So she basically gave him away. Um, but now she says she's changed her mind. Uh, in the end, Sashu paid her seven grand to go away. And that was the top, on top of the 150 a month he had already promised in the original adoption uh, agreement. So he's basically leasing his son. <laughs> and he put a good payment up front to lower the monthly. That's right. Right. Okay. That's right. Okay, sure. It's a low APR rate, I guess. So the hysteria around how the scandal was covered in the papers convinced Seshu he had to leave the U.S. again. So he went back to Japan. His passport. Back to Japan. Everyone in Japan's just kind of ambivalent. They're like, whatever. Uh, he was in films and plays, but he's criticized for his acting, American acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started doing nationalist propaganda films to help out. Cause again, now Japanese is obviously swinging mm-hmm. uh, the way they're going uh-huh. um, and linking and they, and they link up with uh, Nazi Germany. And then he is in a movie to introduce Japanese culture to the Nazis. Okay. But then soon after that, the Japanese government took over filmmaking and the type of acting that says did, which was too American was not going to fly. So he leaves Japan in 1939. Lord, where's really the, France? Really, the best time to leave Japan. France. He goes to France. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hello, welcome back. Are huh? you ready for another round? Huh? This time we've got something interesting for you. All right, we want you to play your wife. <laughs> huh? Look at that! You just get inside that box, jump out of it. Huh? It's outside of it. What? what it is, huh? 
Okay, you want to use a different attack. This time uh, you no longer play your wife or a turtle. You play water. What? Yes, you'll be a, you'll be a big lake. Huh? And everybody, it's about people who go to a summer camp and swim inside of your lake body. Huh? And you have two lines. Splushti, yeah, splushti. I'm a guy. Yes, but uh, don't you understand? You can't play men anymore. Uh, you're not um, a white guy. And we're not as overtly racist, but we're super avant-garde. <laughs> uh, so he leaves his wife and kid in Japan when he goes to France. Okay. Oh, tough time. I, I, I would assume having a kid, that's... It's hard to uproot a kid when they're of that age where they have friends and they're, you know, well, 12. By the way, if there's anybody who's sensitive to travel abroad uh, at this point, it's him. <laughs> I mean, he's like, such, why, would, why would he send his kid? Like, he'd be like, you know where you should go. America. They'll beat all the liberty out of you. So he makes a movie in France. They see it in Japan. They fucking hate it. Once again, he is called an insult to the nation. So he's like, well, I'm not. I think he planned on shooting the film and going back to his family in like, Japan. But he's like, well, I'm not fucking leaving France now. And he keeps making movies, even though his wife and son are waiting for him in Japan. Uh, and then he's there when the Nazis invade. Uh, so he's stuck. He's stuck there for the rest of the war. Jesus. Christ. Can't make movies. Uh, has to do something to make a living. So he starts uh, painting watercolors and selling them to survive. Uh, he helped the French resistance, but it's not known exactly what he did. Uh, and then when the war ended, he's pretty much unemployable. Japanese don't like him, and the rest of the world does not like the Japanese. Then, after a little bit, Humphrey Bogart starts looking for him. And, say, and they find out in these friends, they send people to, to France, and they offer him a, a role in a film. And uh, the way to get the role is uh, the uh, U.S. has to investigate his activities during the war to make sure he was on the right side. Uh, after the investigation, he was allowed to return to the U S I mean, look, you thought casting was hard now. <laughs> I mean, all right. Well, you're on a veil. We just want to make sure which side of the war you were on and yeah, show you both of your hands, both sides. Great. And are you willing oh. to shave? <laughs> Great. And talk about your uh, thoughts on World War One. Where, where, where did you like- I, I don't like my country. They did bad oh, things. Perfect. That's perfect. Cut. Send that to the producer. That's the one. That's the one. Uh, do I need to read any of the lines from the actual film? Uh, there won't be any lines for you. Oh. Yeah. You're, did not nobody tell you? This is a French I, adaptation. No, You'll I, be playing a lake. Okay. <laughs> So we just need you to lay really flat. And are you able to make yourself liquid, I guess? Okay. I, yeah. Yeah, I can. Yeah, sure. Great. Okay. And again, you do not like the Japanese? No, I don't. No, I don't like me. I don't like me. I'm bad. That's oh, that's good. Say, the more you said, we love that here. Um, so he goes to Hollywood. He makes Tokyo Joe with uh, Humphrey Bogart. And then he makes Three Came Home. Hollywood c- critics are giving him great reviews. He's travolting. Uh, Although some are questioning why he never became a U.S. citizen and was still Japanese. Oh, here we, here, oh, you got to love yes. us. We, I know, right? What? Well, that's probably because you made it illegal. I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty, pretty hard to figure out if we did or didn't. Potato, potato, really. 
But uh, who do you have against this that you didn't want to be a citizen of this great nation that shit all over you for 10 years? So, uh, but overall, the reception of the movies is like, nah, whatever. Uh, so he's still... Every actor's he, dream he, he, still, he still wants the same thing he's always wanted. In an interview, he says, quote, my one ambition is to play a hero in a Hollywood movie. Okay. Sure. And of course, no, no offers came. Then the president of a Japanese film company persuaded him to come back, and in 1949, after 12 years, he returned to Japan. Because the U.S. was trying to use films as propaganda, it did not want the previous nationalist style, so she was suddenly in demand with filmmakers. And studios publicized him as an international star. But for audiences, he was still too westernized. And then uh, the great film Rashomon was made, and audiences wanted stuff about Zen Buddhism, samurais, and geishas. And so he eventually left Japan and came back to the U.S. He went back into roles as the honorable bad guy. He was in the bridge on the River Kwai as Colonel Saito, a Japanese POW commander. A fucking amazing performance. Uh, It's considered his greatest performance of all time. The character was similar to the one he had played in the movie that made him the cheat, a Japanese, uh, uh, this is, uh, the author Mayo again, a Japanese man, quote, between civilized, civilized, but primitive, refined, but brutal, authoritative, but vulnerable, westernized and Japanese. So he's still, after all these years, he's still doing the exact same part, but at least this one, he can act in. Yeah. There's a little more, like there's a little more to it. Uh, he's nominated for an Oscar. The Bridge on the River Kwai won seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture. The only nomination it did not win was Best Supporting Actor. Who was nominated for that one? Seshu, oh, interesting. Seshu Hayakawa. Interesting. So it's just like the Oscars of today. That's right. He was then offered similar parts, and once again, PR articles were written to show how American he was. Boy, New look York at Post. this guy. He's knocking on the door of being white, isn't he? The New York Post, December 1957, quote, Seshu Hayakawa takes tea at cocktail time at the Astor, but in his streamlined air-conditioned American home with traditional Japanese furnishings in Tokyo, he said, I have hot cakes and coffee every morning for breakfast. I still keep too many of the nice customs I picked during my years in the United States. The New Yorker wrote, quote, in person, he looks more like an off-duty samurai than a villain. Is, is there ever been a country which doesn't have any meaning? That doesn't mean anything. Does is there has there ever been honestly has there ever been a country who needed its its dick constantly sucked more than the United States? <laughs> has there ever been like a, a bigger kiss the ring constantly nation? And by the way, now we're not allowed yeah, to go to Europe. Have. So what's <laughs> you know, I, I can say I can say there 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 were there were countries. Um, one example is uh, Germany in the late 30s. Sure. Uh, there's also Japan in the late 30s. Sure. There's, those are the countries. Sure. Germany actually does ring a bell now that you bring it up. Um, but that worked out normal. His, yeah, that was fine. Uh, so his wife died in 1961. Uh, the bridge on the River Quiet made him a celebrity again in Japan. So he returned. He started films there. Then he made a switch and studied Zen Buddhism. So he leaves film, uh, or he didn't completely leave, but he became an ordained Buddhist priest. Okay. He would sometimes act in films, but he finally retired in 1967 after 53 years of acting. 
uh, and then he was just a and then he was just a priest uh, for his last few years. He died on November twenty third, nineteen seventy three, in Tokyo from a blood clot. A Japanese magazine wrote a story titled, quote, The ex-Hollywood actor, Seshu Hayakawa, died with a big question. Was he really an international star? Japanese intellectuals in the article were ambivalent about him. I mean, what a, what a, what a crazy... You con- to constantly sandbag somebody in every way and then ask if they played it right. It's like... <laughs> Well, the bullshit nationalists, it's two countries yeah. fired up about themselves right. and some poor guy just uh, lost in the fucking mix. Yeah. Who's like, who's like, I just want to act. Can I just act? Yeah. And then, and then because, because he was painted into corners when other, you know, had to find his own ways. And then they would just say that, well, you went to America and you're too American now. It's like, yeah, well, you wouldn't have me. Yeah. But now you're too, it's like, it's like when you, it's like leaving a uh, bird's eggs in its nest. The second you touch it, I mean, it's just like both countries are just like, no, it's got the stink of the other country on it now. No, thank you. Yeah, there's also this other thing that, that, you know, you always think of like, um, if every kid doesn't get an opportunity, you, how many Beethovens do you lose? How many Einsteins do you lose? You know what I mean? Um, and then, but then you get, but then you get an example like this, like, we don't know how good of an actor he was. He was nominated for Academy Award, but he was he doing rom coms or was he doing uh, just traditional family parts? Was he given all of the opportunities to say a Brad Pitt? It, no, absolutely not. So we don't know. He could have been the greatest. He could have been the greatest actor. He could have been an Olivier type actor, but we don't know. And how we have many, no idea. I truly, truly, how many great minds and talents have been completely squandered because we either just killed them, fully depressed them, or iced them out. And it's an incalculable number, but based on race, gender, sexual orientation, we've just... And then, by the way, this is the country that after World War II brought over all the Nazi scientists, and we're like, oh, don't worry about that. (laughs) It's like... America is far worse off because of racism... It is far worse off because we don't give everyone an opportunity. And if Black Lives Mattered, who knows what what who knows who could have come up with a solution to climate change or anything else that oh. was actually killed on oh, the streets or, or never given an opportunity? Yeah, yeah. You're you're killing minds and people that are important every day. And you're also just killing some guy who just wants to go to fucking work. All right. Um we sigh cars. Yeah. That's right. The main source for this episode is Seshu Hayakawa, Silent Cinema, and the Transitional Stardom by Daisaku Mayo. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, 
Bristol September 22nd and Cardiff September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide November 16th. Canberra November 17th. Brisbane November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 